Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. I'm excited to share with you this great interview I had with Juanes Rosiers, who has previously led the data mesh transition for DPG Media, and more recently moved to become the CTO of Golazo to also help them in their uh, data transformation journey. He's put out a lot of great content on data mesh, and uh, that's also going to be included in the show notes. So bottom line up front, what we covered were you know, what Juanis looks as the three types of data products, which is an entity data product or data products focused on sharing the domain context for inclusion in downstream data products. This is kind of sharing your data on the outside, but not shaping it into a specific purpose, which then feeds into the purpose-based data products or data products built for at least one specific purpose. Often, as we discuss, though the number of purposes increases um, and they end up serving multiple purposes. But when you start out, they serve at least a very specific purpose. And then the third type are data applications, which is essentially creating a data product to serve data back into your operational systems. Because those operational systems are, are considered consumers of data products as well. So we have to think about the full life cycle of data and not just think about data stopping at the when analysis is happening. Uh, a big focus of our discussion was the real need for ownership of data products. Without a logical owner, a data product is likely to fail. And Juanis talks about his uh, way of splitting up ownership into three constituent parts, which he's also talked about previously on the Data Mesh Learning Meetup. Um, Another topic Juanis hit on multiple times was the concept of purpose, the purpose of a data product. Every data product must serve a purpose. That might seem a little bit obvious, but it's actually, I think, often overlooked based on my conversations, right? This is a first principle of a data product. When you think about data product thinking and data as a product relative to data mesh, but just in general, we need to have a specific purpose in mind when creating data products, um, because otherwise we can 
start to get into this would be cool to share or this might be interesting and useful information, but not really uh, as specific as to finding that that specific purpose because then we also can find a specific owner. And again, without that ownership, data product is likely to fail. So as the data products start from a single purpose, Wanus recommends starting data products off smaller and then augmenting them as uh, additional needs emerge. So don't start trying to bite off more than you can chew with multiple purposes for a data product. You're going to be able to evolve these. Uh, for interoperability sake and for, for kind of global understanding of what are we actually referring to of the entities within uh, a data product, Wanus recommends that the company should look or the, the organization should look to, to leverage organization-wide identifiers and, and also to start to create some global definitions. He specifically talks about customer and is this an individual or is this a household and that you have that that same granularity across your data mesh data products. Um, there are some other great tidbits in there, so I don't want to spoil it for you, but I really enjoyed this conversation. I, I hope you do too. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. I'd like to welcome my guest today, Juanes Rosiers, who's um, the CTO at Golazo. Uh, Juanes, if you could uh, give a brief introduction to yourself and a little bit about your background, your current role, and also your um, ro role relative to data mesh and kind of what you were doing with DPG Media and, and what you're kind of heading towards now. Yeah. Uh, so as you mentioned, I'm Wallace. Um, my background is I'm a mathematician. So with respect to the words of data, everything machine learning related really sits close to me, yet somehow I ended up in managing data engineers. Um, having experience from a consultancy firm where I disliked the fact that I wasn't involved in the strategic part up front. And that's how I ended up both first at, a, at an energy supplier and at a media company, DPG Media, but I'll tell a bit later on. And um, as you mentioned, now I'm CTO for Galazzo, which is a group of multiple companies active in the sports sector, both in organizing events as physical tests, uh, as start to run apps, so, so training programs for yourself, corporate well-being, so quite broad, multiple uh, companies, multiple countries. Um, how I came in touch with Data Mesh, that's mostly the story of DPG Media, uh, where I led two years the data engineering department. Um, in total, I had close to 70 people from tagging and tracking over data engineering experts up until machine learning and product development, so app and web. Um, 
where we were really trying to tackle the same issues as, as Data Mesh was trying to tackle. I, I think we somehow inspired by the first article of Zemag, not really using the term data mesh, but we're heading towards the, the same principles. And only later on, we saw, yes, we're really um, doing what is typically called a data mesh. And then the most things we were really trying to aim is, is, is about ownership and getting business logic in there. DPG Media as well as multiple countries, uh, multiple domains, news publishing, video, radio, um, advertising and marketing with, with regards to that. Um, we always said we have 30 data engineers in an environment of 600 IT people, um, enabling five to 7,000 employees and reaching millions of people a day. You, you cannot simply understand that a central team, uh, expect that a central team understands everything, understands every domain. And, and that was our starting point on our data mesh journey. Um, been working there two years. I, I think we can say we, we went quite along and strategic guidelines were set out be, before Colazzo called. And what I didn't mention on my resume is I also played a few years professional volleyball and then a company active in, in sports. That really triggered me. So that's why I, I ended up saying yes. And if you now look, my role is broader, um, but data should be at the center. And Maybe we're too small to call it the data mesh, but again, you're trying to tackle the same principles, uh, the, the same issues, and you're trying to introduce similar principles like the DATSIS principles from data mesh, uh, definitely with regards to discoverability, addressability, but also trustworthy, interoperability. Those are, those are also in, important in, in smaller companies, definitely when it's very divided both in um, different entities as in uh, as in different domains. So it's, we're going to probably end up doing quite a lot of the things the same. Yet I always say my starting point is we're trying to solve Galazzo issues and um, let's try them on a, on a Galazzo specific way. But you end up anyway in, in, in integrating quite similar items and stuff. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense when you... Uh, a lot of people are looking for, okay, uh, give me the blueprint for data mesh. And it's, it's like, you, you have to look at your company culture, your company needs, your, um, uh, there, there's an interesting presentation by uh, Glue about how they're doing um, their, all of their applications are actually driven by the data and everything's eventually consistent because they said we don't actually need necessarily real time um, thing. And so everything is specifically driven by um, the actual data structure that they have in their um, data products around data mesh and that they, the apps are the ephemeral uh, concept instead of, you know, uh, the way we've looked at data historically of um, that uh, data is just produced off of what we're um, doing on the operational side. So I, I really like that approach. And I'm excited to learn more about what uh, you're, you're doing going forward as well. That, yeah, uh, because there, I think indeed, with the kind of role I have, um, we have the advantage to move towards the same path. Um, yeah. Typically, indeed, data was considered a byproduct, and 
data measures trying from a data perspective telling no data is the product or at least one of the products you have um, but still most often you're limited by what's coming from from your source applications um, with the role I have I also have the, the the power to try to bring reasoning in there and, and, and a data driven focus within the source applications and that really helps driving it forward as well makes a lot of sense um, and if uh, listeners haven't checked out uh, the content that Juanis has put out I'll drop that in the show notes but there's been a lot of great um, presentations and uh, blog posts so I'll drop that in as well for for people to check out as well as his LinkedIn and and Galazzo's hiring page so if you want to work with Juanis to, to help uh, shape uh, Galazzo's future that, that would be great so um, so you today you you wanted to talk about kind of just data products and what what are we trying to do by creating data products within data mesh or even just kind of in general, what is the value that we're trying to generate from data products? So we'd love to, to get a sense of kind of at a high level, what your thoughts are to start with, and then we can kind of dig in and jump around to, to a few different topics within that. Yeah. Um, we, we've, got the definition of data product in, in three items. We, we have three types of data products, um, and it's, it's important to mention those. Um, first is what we call entity data products. They describe a certain element, a, a certain entity within your company, but um, limited to a certain domain. Uh, so, for example, in our setting, we don't really have a customer domain. A customer is someone who it registers for a physical test or for an event. Uh, so every domain contains a, a part of the customer. So that entity would be, for example, be event.customer, um, physical test.customer, the information you get there, really just limited to the bounded context of the domain, describing what a customer is there, making abstraction for this from the source application. Um, value of such data products is um, partially towards reporting. Um, it already gives the first insight, but most importantly is that it, those are the reusable components uh, you can use. Everyone can make abstraction from the underlying source systems. They don't need to know whether we have one subscription system or five. No, I have a subscription.customer uh, data set and from there on I can work. Um, why data mesh and looking to it as a data product is also truly valuable is because you're placing the ownership in the right part, namely with the people that actually know what is going on in that domain. Um, so, so typically every source application has its own logic. Um, every domain has its own definitions. Sometimes a customer can be an individual person. Sometimes a customer can be a household um, so making sure that those items are truly incorporated in those data products make it, those entity data products, make it that you can build up your entire data landscape from, from something very trustworthy. Um, then we have a, a second set of data products, which we call uh, purpose-based data products where every data product in there should have a certain purpose or at, at, at least one purpose. 
most often they start acting uh, as resolving multiple purposes, but they have a primary one to make sure that, again, you can assign ownership. Um, but that also means that whatever you built there is at least used and approved to be used by someone. Uh, can be, I want to have a marketing automation set. Uh, in our case, I, I want to be able to... Um, target people who went to a certain event to go to another event. They were watching professional sports. I can offer them other professional sports. They were participating in a running event. I can uh, give them a running or walking event. Um, probably not a cycling event because runners are not cycling people. Most often there's a division. Yet for, for watching something, it doesn't matter. People tend to love to watch both athletism as, as cycling. So it's a bit of distinction. Um, so, so one of those purposes can indeed be marketing automation with regards to events. And most probably you can use that set for other items as well or as a basis for a next data product. Um, but again, it makes that someone really owns that set because he wants to do something with it, um, which, is, which is really important. Um, and immediately as well, um, someone looked into it and believes that that set will drive value. And then a, a third one is, um, I was long no fan of it, um, but it's a data application. That's, again, the set you feed back to an operational system and where people always say you have an operational data landscape and that's that's all the databases under your source systems or your operational applications. And then you have an analytical interface and most often, it's a one-way direction. You bring operational data into it, the analytical landscape, and there it ends. And that's quite a clean uh, division. With data application, we, again, feed back from, um, from the analytical landscape to the operational one. Major example we have there is, for example, our, we're going to build a customer care dashboard where you bring in data from every operational touch, touch point. Do you have the our running app? Um, did you participate in an event? What's your time? Where are your tickets? Um, to give that overview. If you would ask me three years ago, I would say, don't do this on your analytical landscape. And that's correct. But if you start considering data truly as a product, then your data landscape isn't purely analytical anymore. It also becomes kind of operational. And in that setting, it convinced me it's fine to, again, indeed reuse that data to build applications on top, which have an operational impact. Yeah. And, and on that point, I, I kind of hate the concept of reverse ETL, because what I think of reverse ETL is that it's not a product, right? Exactly what you're talking about of pushing data back into operational systems. If, if you know, I don't know that it's necessarily um, that you've got like a really robust CRM system. I don't know if you're doing direct calling via sales on on people for Galazzo. But if you think about, you know, pushing data into Salesforce, that's where the salespeople live. So but if you just have reverse ETL, it's another pipeline that's not going to, to really work versus you think about that data application. It's to me, it makes a lot of sense that you think about there being ownership of not just I'm creating the data and um, then somebody else 
owns pushing it back into the operational system. No, the, the actual application itself, right? Or the product or whatever you think of, however you label it, is about getting that data in there and that it is productized because that that operational aspect is is so crucial. So yeah. I, I really like oh, And that you have an SLA on top of it. Yes. Um, yeah. Because you're you're an operational system. You're no longer purely an analytical system where people tend to say if the report is not there yet at nine o'clock, okay, it's there at ten. Or if the environment is off for one day, that's fine. No, we're we're moving beyond that step and there as well, purely the naming of application helps to, to get a feeling. Indeed, we, we need to consider this uh, as a, as an operational system, a production system where we have an SLA to be me, to be met. Well, yeah, and, and the I mean, with ML and everything, but even within data mesh, I think the lines get blurred around what is operational, what is analytical, because it doesn't really make it's what what are you trying to do with the the data those words start to to kind of lose some of the context around or the you know the real meaning uh and the differentiation but it's exactly what you're talking about is this is crucial to the ongoing operations of the business this isn't nice to have this is need to have and so do you call that operational or do you call that production or do you call that whatever doesn't really matter but that if people are bought in um so so um let's dive into so i think we covered a little bit about the the data application side but um so the entity data products i i kind of think of this um how some people talk about a source aligned data product essentially your the domain is sharing their data on the outside in a way that is um, not specific purpose, right? It's not specific to answering any specific question. It's about kind of, uh, you know, to use a, a, a sports analogy, teeing up <laughs> these other applications or these other data products to have the data that they need and then it's in a way that they can consume. Is is that well, m- mostly, but, but but actually, although it seems it doesn't really sh- ha- have a, a separate purpose or a, a true goal, it f- or it answers a question for me, it does um, because it it describes what do we actually consider as a and then the name of your entity. What do we consider as a subscription? These are the elements of a subscription, and indeed, it's uh, it's source agnostic. I don't care which system is underneath it, and whether it's one or five. But that's the reason of existence. It it gives us a common understanding of what's a subscription. It gives us a common um, granular level. A subscription is someone who subscribes for one element, or a customer is is an individual person, not a household. So those are things you really denote within that data product and, and that as well is a purpose. Um, yeah. Yet yet we clearly make the division with our entities because they all have some similar purpose, namely describing a entity. Um, and then the true purposes w- where you bring value to the outer world. So, so that's clearly a, a distinction. Um, yeah. yeah, well, and, and I think 
the I guess what what I was going for is that within data mesh, um, the kind of big difference of data mesh as to what you're doing, at least with the source aligned data products, is that they're not necessarily designed to answer a very specific question, right? It's not that you're, it's not purpose built to, I'm going to answer this question for you. It's about exactly what you talked about, sharing the context of the domain. (laughs) Um, How are you seeing the, you know, the purpose uh, based data products and taking those concepts from each domain and kind of combining them? So if you've got customer and you're looking to do customer from a couple of different domains, but you know one is the person, one is the household. How are you seeing that um, kind of evolve? I know you're you're pretty early days at, at Galazzo, but you know you had this as well with DPG about those cross-domain concepts that that word means something different in two different domains. Like how how do you? How do you create that um, that understanding in the the, the specific purpose based data products? Yeah, there there is one thing we try to do up front, and then I'll quote uh, my architect. The one thing we we try to do up front is making sure that the granular level of a certain entity within every domain is the same. Um, so I don't want to end up in in the situation that. Uh, in one domain, customer is in an individual, and in another domain, it's a household. No, let's then call it a household um, to, to, to make sh- the distinction quite clear so that at least the granular level is the same. And, and from there on, definitions can still change a bit, but then you know you're on the same level and you can combine them, and, and this helps. Um, yet then you were talking about how do you consider such cross-domain um, products my architect, I, I was writing down on Confluence, this is how I consider um, domain-specific purpose uh, data products and domain agnostic or domain transcendent, which is cross-domain uh, data products. And, and he, he posted a comment. For me, to, for me, we don't have, uh, let's call it cross-domain data products. For me, that's probably because you're just introducing a new domain. Uh, and actually, that makes sense. Um, one of the main examples is always customer because customer lives most often in, in every domain. Um, within DPG Media, it, it was, for example, about customer profile. A profile combines data from a subscription, from online behavior, um, advertising views, stuff like that. Um, so it covers all those domains. No, it's not. It's it's a new domain. It's the domain of the customer profile. And yes, it does not live in any of the source applications. Um, there, there's no counterpart in my operational landscape, but still it's a domain. Um, and from there on, you can again try to put ownership on such a domain at DPG Media that, that was really bringing a product owner customer profile. Um, actually, the issue at Colasso is, is quite similar. It's again about the customer profile. Um, we, we should bring an owner of um, what is a profile because the profile itself will again be supporting multiple domains because it will be used for marketing automation. And then you can either say it's marketing domain or it's, it's again in the event domain and somewhere else. But it can also be supportive of the customer care domain. 
or, or customer care dashboard. Um, so, so, so let's name it what it is. It, it is a domain, just doesn't have a counterpart in the operational landscape. Yeah, I, um, you you did a, a great example of this on the the meetup that you did for uh, data mesh learning, and so I, I encourage people to to watch that because um, I think the concept of okay, we don't have something that's a direct corollary on the operational side to the analytical side. People get a little bit squirrely because, you know, the um, domain-driven design is something that people get, especially people on the data side that haven't been as much on the operational side and are familiar with domain-driven design. It gets a little bit frustrating to go, well, it kind of maps to your operational, but kind of doesn't. <laughs> and like, how do you start to to identify what your domains are and what the boundaries are? And so, um, I think you know, you're you're. I think when you're in month two or three at, at Golazo, so you're 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 starting to um, already implement these concepts, or you're starting to kind of uh, push these concepts out. What? What was your first data product that you're working on, or if you've already got one out there, like what what was it? Was it this customer concept, or what? If somebody were to try and follow in this and and look for what should be my first real data product, how would you uh, think? Customer will be the second, but it's the the first in in the mature environment. Um, because first of all, th- there was no data landscape at, at Colazzo. The data was sending Excels around, to be honest. And we're <laughs> really moving beyond that, and I'm, I'm quite happy. Um, but first was a, a aligned proof of concept within one of the entities we had, um, where the people working on, uh, or people assigned to be working on the data platform were familiar with. Again, it, it helps if your data engineer brings in domain knowledge as well. So that's one of the issues you try to uh, to tackle with uh, data mesh as well. So that's where we started. It's not the most important data product, but it was easy to make sure that we can start using uh, the concept, that we can prove the concept, that we can set up the technical landscape for it as well. But from the moment we had people along, then it needs it. It's building on that customer profile, and I guess for most companies, that will be the most valuable. Um, and then people tend to use the the word customer three hundred and sixty view, and I hate the word, but for everyone, it it tells what it is. Um, and there's quite a lot of value in there if you look towards the outer world. It doesn't help you in optimizing internal processes, and there is value as well. Um, but from the moment on, you want to 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 bring external value, then such a customer profile helps. But most often, it's also the most complex. Um, it's combining indeed data coming from multiple source domains. Um, so, so what I would advise is start like we did, make sure that. F- in a bounded environment, you can bring a first value to make sure that you can prove something. And most often that will be different for everyone. And then start looking to your customer profile, but start building it in blocks that are immediately um, already solving a purpose. As said, we have events registration, we have physical tests, we have a running application. If you 
think of a customer profile, you want to get all that data in there. And if I start building that customer profile, then within one year, I might have something, but I haven't delivered any value within that year. So start building that customer profile, but with blocks from a single domain. Um, let's start with event registration um, to know which event did he visit. Um, and we have participating and we have spectating events, different source systems. Let's again, make it easy for ourselves. Let's only look to participating events because um, then there will be a closer link to all other items, running application or uh, participating in a running event. Those are quite similar. So later on, you can you can move forward. But build your customer profile in the context of participating events because you can already serve your first purpose. What are we building our, uh, our customer profile for? Is marketing automation. You were... Uh, running at an event, you were running 10 kilometers and your time was kind of this. So you're a good runner. Maybe we can invite you to have a 15 kilometers run or um, let's stay on the same distance. So there is the first value in there. And from there on, start adding other domains only after you had that first value. And, and again, think what's the next one? What's my next uh, purpose that I can solve with this question or, or which domain brings most value when I'm expanding the current purpose. Spectating events will be our second because, again, that's where the value is. That's our core. And then what's the next um, most likely physical test because then we can bring in another purpose, namely having a quite broad customer care dashboard. You can both call for physical tests as for events. And like this build up. Um, your, your most important data product, or if you have more, build, build them up like this by really focusing on the purpose and the value of what you're bringing in every step. So, and, and I think if I'm interpreting what you're saying right as well, is that first off, when you're thinking about a purpose, you don't want to start with the all-encompassing purpose, right? You don't want to start with uh, the customer 360. It may, it may be that your customer is the domain, but are you evolving your data products to add, you know, you talked about um, participation versus, um, you know, watching, uh, but are you evolving the data product to have both or are you creating a new data product to, so that you're, you're, you know, I think that's one question people have is, do I have one data product per domain or do I have many? <laughs> well, from from a, from an entity level, we keep them divided. Um, so we have a, a spectating registration and a, a participation registration because also that makes the access management uh, live a lot easier. Um, mm. You can put it on a data set instead of filtering out or making sure. Also from a cost perspective, um, you're not querying the entire set of filtering. Um, if you only have access to a certain set, you're just accessing that, that certain set. So that helps as well. Um, but from a customer profile level, we're bringing everything together. Um, so, so there are types where we're going for one data product in a domain that's also yeah, definitely customer profile is a, is a quite, it's a cross-domain domain. domain. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're talking about it. So the, there we do that. 
Um, yet in certain domains, we have multiple data products. Um, you also have multiple entities living in a domain. Um, so you should be able to describe them. And you have multiple purposes in a domain. You should not try to bring everything in there, make it as neat and reusable as possible. How, if somebody were to think about, okay, I, I have another purpose that might be served by this data product, but I'd have to expand it quite a bit. Like, I'm not looking for a hard and fast rule because data mesh is not about hard and fast rules. <laughs> but um, how do you think about, do I create a, a new data product versus do I um, try to add on to an existing one? Uh, that's a very good question. And indeed, there is no hard rule. Uh, and <laughs> And you should think at it in two ways, um, because if, if you want to solve a new question, then indeed start looking around what's there and is it usable. Um, and if the answer is I cannot expand this one, then probably I need to be able to build upon that data product. And that as well is, is really an important thing you need to take in mind, that you do not need to go back um, to the source application. Now, someone already implemented quite a lot of the logic and either you're expanding that logic or you're building on top of it. But what is there is already re reusable. Uh, but then in need, um, how, how, do you make, how, how do you make this consideration? Um, I, I would first start off with thinking that the purpose that I'm trying to get in there um, does that reside in the same domain? So can I place the same owner? Because if, if I'm uh, trying to expand a certain data product and it's already there, S somebody's owning it and I'm mostly a requester, but if something breaks, I'm also the requester for, for, for that previous owner to make sure that it, uh, it stays alive. So if it's the same domain, then probably he'll feel that ownership. If it's not, and I'm really a client of his, then then there might get the typical dependency wall. And in that case, it might make more sense that I try to resolve it myself in my domain. Um, so that's the first thing you need to ask. Is, it this, is my purpose in the same domain or is it in a different one? If it's in a different one, if it's a large, um, large add-on you need to create, I, I would advise go for the next one. If it's a small one, then probably it makes sense to get it in there because otherwise you have quite a lot of work yourself for the, just adding one or two fields. Um, so that's there. If it's the same domain, then I would look to it from the other way around. Start really investigating, can it be solved by the same data product to, to limit what's there? And if not, then start building a, a different data product. So depending if it's the same domain or a different domain, you start off with uh, with the other side of the, the perspective and, and trying to see whether that worked before you, you swap around. And, you know, I, I don't think at your, uh, either DPG or, or especially Galazzo size, um, that it's as much of a concern about do you have too many downstream of too many downstream data products, right? Of, okay, this person's making this kind of incremental change on top of this data product, but it's, you know, it's kind of downstream of seven different other data products. 
Is that something that you are kind of worried about at any point, or is it something that you you think it's it's a problem that you don't need to address before it comes up? Or? Uh, well, at least in my case, it's a problem I don't need to address. Um, I, I can imagine though that at DPG Media, at a certain time, it it comes to that fact that at Colazo we are far from that. Um, Yet there, I would definitely look to what uh, APIs learn us um, on, on how you create a, a backwards compatible API, making sure that whatever you introduce doesn't break anything. Um, and then maybe the hardest part, if you if you take the lessons learned from APIs, then probably the hardest part is if I need something new in this entire chain, where do I put it? Because maybe only data product number seven needs it, but actually it's a field coming from data product one or two. And then it would make sense to get it throughout the entire chain as well. Um, I see that as the most challenging part rather than than actually breaking stuff. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. It brings up a couple of things that, uh, a couple of questions in my head as to, you know, how do you make sure that cross-domain communication is happening? And how do you, you know, so that you could, if if it is, you know, um, those those multiple different domains, but also um, you mentioned a little bit about breaking changes and versioning and things like that. And um, Jmac has talked about, we can't be afraid to break uh, the the consumption model for a data product if that data product really needs to evolve and that we but we have proper versioning and things like that how are you thinking about like that communication back and forth as to we have this potential change upcoming or if a consumer is requesting that additional information um you know do they then create their own data product and are they now the owner or can they go back and, and push that that communication up? Like, how, how are you thinking about that? Especially, you know, I, I wrote down two things um, with a couple exclamation points of purpose and ownership. You, you, you said both of those a whole lot of times, and I think they're very important. But like, I think, how do you kind of almost balance between those two of, of you know, we need this additional thing do I go to the owner and ask for it or am I the new owner? <laughs> yeah. From the, from the, well, there's two solutions. Either you go for an open source imp implementation of your own data mesh landscape. Um, so towards a setting that you can alter a data product from someone else, um, which probably in quite a lot of cases would make sense because, um, you will you will investigate where it really needs to reside. Um, there's no dependency on on the implementation, um, and you have a pull request system so that the actual owner can can approve and and still make sure that it's aligned to this data product. At DBG Media, we did it what uh, with customer profile, so it's a, it's a product with a central team owning it, but also multiple teams having access to the repo and and being allowed to make changes. Um, if you do that in your entire landscape, I can also believe that it will get a mess. Uh, so, so not really advising it for everything, but, but such a large, quite central data product in your organization, it, it might make sense. 
in the other case, um, I would, yeah, I, I would still advise to to then look to the, the domain driven perspective of, of data mesh. Where does a field reside? Where does it make sense? Because you're trying to build data products that are reusable. And if for every component, every need you have, you would create your own data set, making sure that you're flexible and start to own it, your logic will get distributed as well. And, and, and although you and maybe someone else um, create the same data product, no, a similar data product on top of the same one, um, you you would have more reusability when everyone adds is adding it to the correct place. So that that's uh, something you should keep looking for um, without having you blocking it. Yeah, this is, is something that's been coming up in my head recently as to um, do you create do you add to a data product? Do you create a new data product, or do you just have repeated queries? And if if you're having this same query, you know, by whatever system, you know, it's kind of the data application concept to me uh, that you talked about of if you have these same repeated queries, um, is that going to be something that's useful to somebody else, right? You, you go and you're accessing this data product constantly, and you're doing the same um, queries against it to pull it into some other uh you know, whether it's you're pulling it into your own environment to do the same analysis repeatedly or you're pulling it into a dashboard or, or things like that, that um, like, how do we actually think about that? How does that evolve? And I just, I think the answer, a lot of what you said earlier of it kind of depends. Is, it it is, kind of depends. And you should take cost perspective in mind. Yeah. Because if you're looking to Google BigQuery or Snowflake as underlying technology, then you pay per query. And if your repeated query is an aggregation, then probably it would make sense even from a cost perspective to, to run it once and start querying in the aggregate. If you're using Redshift and you don't have concurrency scaling, then that doesn't matter. Um, so it, it also depends on the technology you've chosen for, for your setup. Makes sense. Um, how do you think about the introduction of new data products, you know, and, and kind of maybe the, the push pull as well of uh, how are people monitoring demand for, okay, people want this data in this way. How do you, uh, you know, I did an interview with uh, Paulo Plotter about what he's doing with customers, which is to uh, interview them and say, what data products do you already have and that we need to move to the mesh and what data products do you need to support these, um, the business processes, but you don't have it yet. But like, you know, HelloFresh talked about um, they're doing kind of a speculative data product. So a little bit of what you talked about of kind of those Excel sheets that you just share out. Here's here's kind of the data that we've got in the format that we've got or that we're thinking about. Like, how how do you think about that feedback process to get to you know your kind of MVP of your data product, and then how do you also make sure it gets in front of the people who would need it? Right, you're, you're creating something of value. You, you talked about this purpose and this value. So how do you make sure it's maybe not as difficult in, in a Galazzo, but like you know, DPG, you talk about 600 IT people, 
Like you have to make sure that they're aware of what's going on of new data products or that there's that conversation as to what, what would you actually want from this? So how, how have you kind of approached that or how do you think about that? Well, I'm going to speak indeed about DPG Media. It's not something that we're currently in the phase that everyone we're talking to wants something different at Colazzo. Yeah. And in DPG, yeah, the, the typical Scrum process, well, typical, everyone shapes it their their way, but the, the things you try to, to um, bring in with Scrum is making sure that you have an owner that talks to his business counterparts, where, where a business counterpart can also live within IT because you might be able to, f- to feed an application um, that, that captures what is needed and then um, looks what does belong to my product, what doesn't, um, and then communicate about it. This is what we're going to do. Aiming for then, everyone knows, everyone is bad in estimating in Scrum, so it will be a bit later. Um, but from the moment it's there, also demo it. This, this is what we have. This is what we can can reuse. Um, at TPG Media, every two weeks we had a, a demo um, where every domain, uh, well, high-level domain, B2B, B2C, tracking, um, which also which is reading behavior and customer profile, um, we're mentioning these are the main items we did. Um, at least one of them actually gives a demo. This is in there. This is why we're using it for to inspire people. And it's that it's not only telling what is there, but it's also the inspiration part that makes it really handy. Um, we're still in a world that not everyone always graphs all the possibilities of data. So al- although the IT or technical or data people shouldn't drive it, we can as well bring inspiration and and. We can also bring inspiration by letting some of our stakeholders show what they do with the data uh, and someone else will get inspired by it. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of a, a pretty high level, um, kind of hidden, not really talked about aspect of data mesh is that, again, when you're creating these data products that aren't designed specifically to answer a very specific question versus being able to use to answer multiple questions around a specific topic. Um, you do kind of, if you can inspire people and you can set them up to ask questions that the domain would never would have thought of, right. Or cross it with, with other, um, products. So I've, I've got a a couple of last questions and, you know, I want to be cognizant of time and everything, but, um, one would be around interoperability. So, you know, you talked about, in the entity data products, you know, they're, I really think of them as you're teeing up the information to be linked across for um, multiple purposes, you know, for the purpose-based data products. So how are you, how did you do it at DPG? How are you thinking about it at Galazzo as to make sure that those, are, that we don't just have high quality data silos? That, that's a, a, a potential issue with Data mesh is if you don't have those interoperability linking, that would be. Um, yeah. uh, let, let's start with DPG Media. The, the most important data product was customer profile. And from the moment on, someone started asking, I want to get this data in the 
the customer profile, that's when you had a driver to, to bring extra identifiers and, and get it cross silo. Um, so, so it actually started from an end purpose. Um, we want to have personalized advertising uh, to purpose-based data products to be able to support that we should incorporate this data towards then the domains um, we need to be able to link this data too. So uh, we need this, this, these IDs. That's also, um, it did work like that because there was already quite a lot before we started on the data mesh way. And, and there were already quite a lot of, well, they were not products, but you should you could consider them data products, but they were, were not mature at the moment uh, I was there. They were not considered products. Um, but that was the way you tried to make everything interoperable. Again, start from that purpose. Why do we need it? Hence, we do need. Um, at uh, Golazzo, I have with my broader role, so being responsible for entire IT, I have the, the opportunity to make sure that most things are interoperable already in the source. So one of the things we're going to introduce is a single sign-on. So everything customer-related should bring in the ID from, from, from your single account to make sure that it's linkable. And, and we'll try to do that with with other data products as well. But it's, I, I would say, try to bring in company-wide identifiers as soon as possible in the process because it will help and then build upon purpose. Um, probably the, the hardest part is, and, and I didn't think about this before and, and now I'm getting afraid because it's something we'll run into with Galazzo. The hardest part is you're bringing in new data product. Which identifiers should I bring in there um, to also in a later phase be interoperable? We're building our data mesh uh, from scratch again. The first data product by nature is interoperable with every other data product as there are none. <laughs> um, and yet... While building the first one, you already want to start thinking, what do I need to make sure that in the future, what's coming up, I can link towards it. Um, so, so that will be a challenge as well. So uh, again, now you made me afraid. <laughs> but, but I mean, you can evolve your data product, right? You yeah. can, it's, it's not that uh, that's, that's, I think, a, a big uh, benefit of data mesh is that it gives you kind of it gives you permission to do that, that you don't have to say no. we have to solve everything up front. Um, the other thing that I wanted to, because it is so important, and, and I think, you know, you again, you covered it in um, the, the meetup, but ownership and, and finding an owner, are you bringing in new owners if there isn't somebody who's a clear owner? Are you hiring for that? Or how, how are you establishing that ownership and what what do owners really need to do? Yeah, well, referring to the to the meetup, I, I still believe in a in a threefold uh, ownership. That's someone high up in the company owning the purpose. Yes, we want um, cross event uh, marketing uh, targeting. Someone is really stating this is an important purpose for us. Um, on sea level, preferably. Then there's someone owning the product from, from a product owner perspective. I'll come to that a bit later. And um, most often, those are not the ones that are talking data. We're more and more into a setting that within an IT environment, 
most product owners uh, product owners understand something of of software development and and know some toolings but most often they have no experience at all with data um so so you need to have a technical counterpart what's in there uh, who you can call when something goes down that's there but the most important role is then the it the, well the product owner the, the true owner what comes into my product um what belongs there um we're going to try at at um at Colazzo, we're going to try to identify uh, people with the best product mindset within the the business lines we have. So distinct companies most often, luckily for us, map towards domains and trying to find a product person there. But then, then as well, you're coming into the setting we're making this cross-domain data product that does not belong anywhere, customer profile. Um, at DPG Media, there indeed we said we need to have a product owner. We, we found someone internally, but if we wouldn't have found someone internally, we would have looked uh, externally. And I do believe that what's most important within that role is what you're looking for in a product owner in, in typical software development as well. It's a product manager. He's, he's owning your product. He's deciding what's in there. Who are my customers? Where? Why are we doing it and driving the value from it? And the more he talks data, the better. But that's also something you can help him learn together with the team. Yeah, and and at some point, uh, maybe in a, in a future episode, I'd love to chat about how you um, actually ask for that headcount and make sure that that you can get it, you know, and and uh, kind of drive the exact buy-in on that. But um, I'm a bad sales guy, but indeed, somehow I I manage. So let's do that the next time. <laughs> Um, so this is this has been fantastic. Um, uh, I'm assuming you're hiring at Galazzo. First off, you know, want to uh, offer up if you've got any other bits of wisdom that we didn't cover to to do that. But also, how can people find you? And you know, I'll, I'll drop the the links in the show notes. But like, you know, uh, should people be reaching out to you if they've got questions or all of those kind of little aspects as we wrap up here? Yeah, the, the bits of wisdom, it's a hard question because there's popping 20 things <laughs> in my mind and, and none. Uh, yet I do like inform, informal conversations like this one. So for everyone, just reach out. I'm on the on the Data Mesh Slack community. Um, I'm trying, I, I'm now two months at Aikula, so I'm trying to be more active again. And I start having the overview, so I start having the time for the community as well. Um, but I would say just contact me via Slack uh, or via LinkedIn. Uh, those are the two preferred channels. Um, there's a bunch of things I can talk about. Uh, product ownership, uh, purpose, uh, technology, executive buy-in, feel free. And don't hesitate because I always tell, maybe even though I'm more talking than the other, I learn from questions you have. And I'm also quite certain that I can learn from whatever you're talking um, or, or the one I would talk to. But even if it's only questions, I learn from questions you have because those are the problems people are addressing and probably either we've addressed them or we're going to run into them. And then it helps that I'm 
can already start thinking about it. So really just uh, just reach out. Um, and yes, we're hiring, but but with my broader role, we're hiring backend, we're hiring frontend, we might hire data. So it's quite broad. Um, but there as well, if, if, if you think you would be interested in, in moving forward in, in, in an entire IT story with data at the center, feel free to reach out. Okay. Well, thank you again, Juan. It's fantastic as always. I always appreciate chatting. And, um, you know, uh, if, as you said, Juan is uh, one of the rock stars of the data mesh community. So I appreciate everything he's doing. So right with that, thanks, everybody. I want to thank my guest today, Juanis Rosier, the CTO of Galazzo, for such an interesting chat about data products. If you'd like to get in touch with Juanis, please see the show notes for his contact info, as well as links to the great content that I had mentioned previously from his time at DPG Media. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest, you know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Mm-hmm.